I used to think success was something you had to be superhuman to achieve. That the successful were different from the rest of us. That you had to be born better than a normal human to achieve anything. But the successful are more similar to you and me than we thought. They're just real people. So I go talk with them. I'm Dakota O'Neill, and this is Real with O'Neill. Alright guys, welcome to another episode of Real with O'Neill. I'm here today with my friend Ashley. She is, or uh, let me pull this up real quick, make sure I get all this in because you had a lot on here. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. She is a recovering addict. She is five years off heroin and ice. Ice is meth, correct? Yes. All right. Uh, She has experienced homelessness, abuse. She is adopted. She has experienced family breakdown and rebuild. She has experienced in the fields of mental health and has been through several, several or just one nervous breakdown. So I've had one nervous breakdown, but I've been in all up seven mental institutions. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's nothing wrong with seeking help when you need it. No, that's right. All right. So you've been through rehab and NA and your experience with staying clean after NA, which is Narcotics Anonymous, right? Yes. All right. Uh, And you've been through toxic relationships, but now have a healthy marriage. Your experience with parenting, uh, your experience with having a two-year-old with sensory processing disorder and global development delay. Yes. What is sensory processing disorder? So he doesn't like a lot of touch. He doesn't like a lot of, like, him touching things. Um, He has issues with food aversions. Like, I have to buy, like, kale chips and stuff like that just to get him to eat something healthy. Okay. Um, So he only eats crunchy food and he has meltdowns um, when he gets too emotional and too, like, if we went somewhere new, um, it's sort of hard like he he has a bit of a sensory overload like he can't process his his emotions and his sensory feelings like you or I would so is this on the autism spectrum or is it yeah. okay okay yeah he doesn't have autism um but he does he is on the spectrum and it usually leads to having like ADD or ADHD later on in life as well Will he ever grow past the desire for just crunchy food or anything like that? I can hope so. <laughs> <laughs> we do have, um, so in Australia, we have like a thing called an NDIS plan because we got a lot of, you know, a lot more funding than you guys do over there. So <laughs> Big flex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we've got like $20,000 a year at the moment that we can spend on him till he's seven and then it changes to a different program. Um, So he has like a speech therapist. He has an OT. Um, We'll be starting in with a food OT. So he's just got like all of these different, and yeah, I said speech therapist. Um, So just all of these people that like help him to come past like his issues. Um, so we've just been granted that and we're just starting out now, but our wait lists are huge. It, like, it doesn't matter how much money you throw at them, like, the wait lists are just ridiculous. Mm. But, yeah, so he goes to school and they help with it as well and, you know, we help at home and I try to 
get him to try food and feel now he vomits the portal thing. Like, it's, yeah, it's a bit sad. Well, here's hoping that, like I said, you know, a girl passed it one day and things will get a little easier for both of y'all. Yeah, that's right. Like, it's something I think he'll always deal with, but he will learn to sort of cope more and, you know, sort of push past it. I've got a friend that's um, 27 with it, and he used to only eat mashed peas, and now he eats more than that. Um, <laughs> but he said he still loves his mashed peas. So... You know, at least he's eating more. He's got a job. He's, you know, lives on his own. He's in a healthy relationship. Like, so, you know, it's not all, it's not all bad for your son. That's right. That's all right. That's good. Yeah. It's always good to be positive about these things. A lot of people, they, they find someone with a disorder or, or I don't want to say disability because a lot of these things aren't even disabilities really, but yeah, just, but people with conditions that they don't quite understand or that make them a little sorry about the loud vehicles but uh i can hear it <laughs> okay I, I can hear it through the, the i'm i'm using an actual microphone and the headset's plugged into it so i can hear like super sensitive feedback for everything okay <laughs> but uh yeah a lot of people encounter people with a condition or a disorder that they don't quite understand or that isn't quite normal and it throws them for a loop. They act like it's a whole different life that they're living, but it's really, it, it, once you get used to it, and it does take some getting used to, but once you get used to it, it's not so different. Well, we treat him as if he was normal. You know right. what I mean? We don't treat him any different than the other kids. Um, there's just a little bit of extra things he might need. Like when he comes home from school, it's so weird. Um, he gets my hair and, like, rubs it all over his face or sticks it in his ears. And the newest one is, like, he tries to get his little foot up into my hair and that's why I stopped it all off because I was sick of it. But that, that's his, like, downtime to sort of, like, relax after he's, um you know, had a had a day at school or something like that. And um, I said to my husband, I'm like, he looks like a creep. Like he's just there, <laughs> he's pulling as he's like, you know, rubbing himself with my hair. But that's just his little quirk. And, you know, if that's what he wants to do and that, you know, gives him that sensory um, fix that he needs, well, right. It's just, you know, you, you got to support him. Yeah, that's right. But then, you know, we teach him to dress himself and we teach him to, you know, help do chores. So, like, He's got the same rules as the other kids. He's just got a few little quirks and we've got to, you know, cater to them. Right. And if anything, it's even more important for someone with his... I'm trying to find... I don't like using negative sounding words for stuff like this. It's a, it's a big issue that I personally have because I, I'm... I've experienced, I've had a lot of experiences with people with disabilities that are not disabled. They're just different. But yeah. anyway, uh, for someone with his condition, it's even more important, I would dare say, for, to have that kind of structure because even more so than a normal person, they will be lost without it. Yeah, very much so. Like, 
he if he could, he would go to school five days a week. Like he, he'd go seven if he could. Like he just the little bugger. He gets his school bag every morning and he's at the front door, you know. And when you explain no today's home day, he's like, no, <laughs> like you know. And it's like nobody like today we're we're staying home and this is what we're going to do. And I have to sort of like explain our day. Um, and with the global developmental delay, like he's only six months behind. Um, so it's not like it's a huge, huge one. Right. Um, and he probably can talk a little bit more than he lets on he can um, because <clears throat> I've heard him say a few words that he shouldn't say. <laughs> so if he can say them, you know, like <laughs> where. Um, and then, you know, some days he could say five new words in one day and he has a lot of non-verbal um, gestures as well. So you can sort of understand what he's getting at if you give him that time, you know. Yeah, I, I definitely get what you mean. Uh, and a lot of that comes down to learning what each individual's cues are because yeah. some of them like uh and this is something i learned with my experiences uh some of them pointing can mean i want you to look here and for others pointing means i need that yes and he's both so he'll say come grab your hand and then take you to where he wants you to go if you brush him off which i've seen people try to brush him off <laughs> he will get frustrated and he will grab your hand and start to take you where he wants you to go. Like you will end up doing what he wants you to do. Like <laughs> he, he's he got the biggest smile and he's just the happiest child. Like I love the way he views the world. Like it gets me excited, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. um, everything's just so fresh and new to him. And he seen a tree. We had really bad winds the other day, and it was like really, really swaying. And he was standing at the window, and mm. he's gone and got his brother Nate. And he's like, "Come!" And Nate was playing a game. He's like, "No!" And Rafi's like, "Come now!" And I never <laughs> heard him do that before. And he took him to the window, and he's like, "Ooh, ooh!" Like. Like you've never seen him before. But it's just like that excitement in him and, you know, the demand, like, I need you to see this. You will um, be part of my happiness. That's that's exactly right. Like, you just, oh, I just was, like, in awe of him. And, like, he's just, you cannot love, like, you cannot not love this child. Like, he, he will just get into your skin and you will be wrapped like it's yeah i love it <laughs> that's really beautiful to hear and it's really awesome to know that there are parents out there that aren't ashamed to to expressively say that they love their kids because you know you talk to a lot of parents and they seem to view their kids almost as more of a burden or something that's slowing down their lifestyle and i think that both for the kid hearing that and both for people that hear you say that as a parent for, for both of those points of view, that is a really sad thing to say. Yeah. yeah. Or a really yeah. sad attitude to have. 
I, I couldn't I feel like we're blessed with children and mm. like I'm not over overly religious, but I feel like you only get what you can handle. Mm-hmm. And yes, everything's not always perfect and you know it, like a shopping experience might drive me insane one day taking him. But at the end of the day, that smile and that hug that I get at nighttime and, you know, him creeping on my hair, it is just, it makes everything so worth it. Like I would not change him for the world. I, I, I would not. And he was the one that I had postnatal depression with, like, in the Mm. beginning so um you know there was like up until he was 10 weeks old because he he almost died from acute bronchiolitis when he was 10 weeks old Mm -hmm. so it was this massive thing and I was in denial and you know my husband was he really stepped up and he was amazing like he was helping with his care and I was just like they'll fix it they'll fix it like I didn't want to sort of um think about what could happen and it was like my heart just opened and all of these emotions came through and you know my postnatal depression just was gone um and it wasn't spoken about till after that you know like I was very ashamed of it and I was very um scared because I had lost two children um I'm sorry to hear that. No, I'm. I lost him to docs, like because of my. What do you call? Um, oh gosh, what do you guys call it? Like when they <laughs> remove children. Oh, um, uh, C-section. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. Like when they take them off, like drug addict parents and stuff. Oh, uh, um, DHR. Uh, okay. Yeah, and the Child Protective Services, those types of things. Yeah. Yeah, so ours is called docs or facts, like whatever you want to. Okay, yeah. I, I thought you were talking about, you, you said take the children out of you. I thought you meant like during the birthing process. No. Um, so I, you know, with one of them, like I, I wasn't not doing the right thing. I had just started to the, do the right thing a, a little bit too late, if you know what I mean. And, I do. Um, so he's got high... Like, he's got autism, he's got schizophrenia, um, a whole lot of, of issues. And he was adopted out and then they cancelled the adoption because he was too much to handle. Um, and then I got offered to take him back, but he tried to lure Nate onto the road and while cars were coming mm-hmm. for safety reasons and, you know, when you adopt a child out you sort of say goodbye if that makes sense um so it was it's a very hard situation like I have so much guilt I have so much shame um but at the end of the day I had to do what was right for my my little kids right um because it was just and me and my husband spoke about it for for days and he just said to me like you have to do what's right with these kids. And Rafi has his own issues as well. Like we have so much going on that, yes, you have shame, you have guilt, you want to love him, you want to take him back in. 
but he needs serious support. He needs serious round-the-clock help. And he wasn't going to be allowed to be around the children on his own. So, like, if I went to the bathroom, for instance, I would have to take the kids with me to the bathroom. Right. Yeah, now he lives um, in a supported home. With He's got to have two caseworkers with him at all times um, because he's quite violent and things like that. So he's getting all of the help that he needs, you know. As much as I feel guilty, I think realistically it's the best thing for him, you know what I mean, because he, he's not not well. Right. I, I mean, I can't say that I get what you're saying. Uh, I, I have a child on the way, but I am not a parent myself, let alone a parent to kids with such a unique situation. Yeah. So I'm definitely not going to pretend like I know anything about this situation or how I would handle it, because you never really know until you're in that position. But I will say that from hearing you, it sounds like you've tried your best to make the decision that was the best for everyone involved. And that yes. you didn't do anything you've done out of spite or hatred towards anyone. No, gosh, no. And it was the hardest decision of of my life. You know what I mean? And um, I ended up in hospital for a week um, where I had to get my medication up. I just went to like the maternity hospital. Um, they kept me in there. I didn't have to go into like a mental facility, but. They had to watch me because my I was pregnant. My blood pressure was spiking. My medication needed to be upped. And I was just so, like, eaten up inside. Like, it was, yeah, it was not by any means an easy, easy decision. Well, you know, it, like, like I said, I, I can't imagine. I can't pretend like I know what any of that was like at all but you know like I said it sounds like you've done nothing but try to act in the best interest of your whole family not just yourself and not just one child but the whole family and that that's the best anyone can really do but what I'd like to do is uh talk about you uh and and go back a little bit because we kind of started pretty far along here (laughs) sorry no, that's not your fault. I started it. I started asking the questions. But we are here today with Ashley Ferguson, who has been through a lot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, Ashley, tell tell me a little bit about your early life, where you started that. So, um, I was born to my natural mom, Jen. She was 19 when she had me, and natural father wasn't in the picture um he was like 35 and you know just didn't want to be a part of it so um she went back to her natural mom because she's adopted as well um you know she didn't have it easy as um as a child so she ended up reaching out to her natural mom soon and um she went and lived with her and her husband Paul so they were very manipulative and I have no time for Sue whatsoever. Um, you know, she she 
the moment I was born, she took over and she tricked my um, natural mum, Jen, into giving her guardianship um, because she was trying to figure out how to be a mum, you know, and being so young and not really having a mother herself. It was all so much for her. So she was like, here, I'll, I'll help you, um, you know, and, and tricked her into giving guardianship. So um, mum was pushed pushed to the side and kicked out after that and they hardly ever let her see me and things like that. So um, while I lived in that house, I was ran over. I was... Um, like with a car? The car, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm yep. sorry, I probably shouldn't laugh, but how, how did that happen? So apparently, um, and these are all in my my files from you know, like we call it docs. Um, right. It was all in my files that um, Sue thought I was inside. No, Sue thought I was outside. Paul thought I was inside. He was fixing the car. He's reversed, and when he's reversed, the back tire got me. Um, and they didn't take me to the hospital. They took me to like a doctor that they they knew and um, made sure I was all right. But like I had a tire mark on me, and luckily I was fine. I would have been no more than eighteen months old. Mm. Um, so you know. Um, that was the first thing that happened. Then they were having a um, a prostitute party because they ran a brothel and a strip club um, and they tied me to a clothesline and I had the dog's bowl near me, which I apparently, that's the water I, I was getting um, while they had this party. And I had second-degree burns um, and had to go to hospital for that, and that was reported by the neighbours. Um, it again in my files, um, and then her husband Paul um, allegedly uh, assaulted me as as a baby, um, and that was one of the reasons I I was removed. And another thing they did, I used to get out of bed. Um, to go get a drink or whatever when I was little. And one night he thought someone had broken into the house. So from that moment on, like he, he nearly hit me in the head with a baseball bat and then realised it was me. But I was mm. strapped to the bed every night. Um, so like, you know, those little kid, like walking things? Yeah. Like you got a naughty kid, they run off. You, like, like a dog sort of thing. Like they tied me to the bed and I would get untied of a morning but I was left at daycare um and the, the daycare would ring them and they wouldn't come and get me so she'd take me home for the night and I was removed um quite a few times and all up I was put into nine different foster care families um but my auntie who was 12 used to walk me to daycare, she used to bath me, she used to feed me. Like she really treated me like hers, like, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? But the poor thing was 12, like the responsibility that she had on her was right. huge. 
and I think things probably would have been a, a lot worse with the neglect um, if it wasn't for her. So, you know, I have so much respect for her and admiration and, um, yeah, like she she helped me a lot. Um, and then I... <clears throat> Are you still close with her? So I try not to really have anything to do with any of them. Um, because she still does speak to her mother um, and I don't have any time for that woman and I love her with my whole heart. Um, She loves me. She's just reached out to me recently and told me how proud of me she is. Um, But it's just sort of a love from afar in, in a way, but I'll always hold a very dear spot for her. Yeah, always. Um, and then Sue rang up Docs one day and said she didn't want me anymore. Mm. Um, they were coming and then she decided she did want me. So then she took off with me and they found, they rang her and said, like, you need to bring Ashley back here like that's it we're done like you have you know ducked up way too many times um and they put me in my last foster home and I still remember I was like two and a half and I still remember like ants going down the kitchen wall being only fed Weet-Bix and noodles um her backyard had a sand pit, but there was those cat's eyes in it. Do you guys have them over there? Those spiky, like uh, thorny. Things? Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. You like that you get them stuck to your socks and stuff. They got the the sharp tips on them in the grass. Yes, but these were like big ones. Like we get like bigger ones over here. And like well, I, where I live, uh, we we live pretty close to the beach. Uh, we get these things called sand spurs. Oh, yes, yes. So that's okay. what we call outside. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so I, like, that was all in there. And the backyard was just overgrown. And, like, I remember the, the carpet being, like, this ugly green colour, but probably looked good back then in the, you know, early 90s. And um, she, her name was Avril. Um, she's since passed. And, she was tight, man. Like to only get fed wheat bix and noodles. I have to say, I don't eat noodles now. And <laughs> um, wheat bix is only if my son Nate hasn't finished his breakfast. I sort of scoff it into me a little bit, and then it's like, oh, like it's still, it's not my favorite thing. No, but, I um, definitely understand that. Yeah. Um. So. My adoptive mum, aka Forever Mum Jay, she was like she was walking up to the gate. Um, I apparently had my hair hair in like little pigtails. Mind you, I had hardly any hair at this age. Um, and I was swinging on the gate, and I was like, "Excuse me, lady, are you going to be my new mum?" And she knew from that moment that we were meant like meant to be that's beautiful so yeah yeah it is and 
she thought she couldn't have kids. Um, she had fostered for a while. Like she was only 24 and she was in a, a marriage with a man and he ended up cheating on her. So um, he left quite early into me like moving in um, and he wasn't part of the picture. So we moved in with my my nan, um, my adoptive and but she was like my world this woman was just you know like the typical nan nan right like yeah she was just so beautiful this woman and um you know very independent and very strong like um she had only ever been with my pop and he left when she was like 40 so she was on her own for some time and like she's my guardian angel, she's my biggest inspiration. And, um, you know, I I was very, very loved. And then my mum ended up marrying my adoptive dad and they adopted me together. Um, and my natural mum, Jen, did that so Sue and Paul could never get their hands on me again. That's why she agreed to the adoption. Um, and I'm very, very grateful. I'm so grateful that I was adopted that she agreed to it and I had a perfect childhood you know like I had such a loving home um I was never treated any differently I was just yeah I I, I was theirs um right and it was to the point like you know my mum before she even adopted me she changed my last name with the school so I wasn't different sort of thing there was a bit of bullying at school you know oh your real mum didn't want you you're unloved and my comeback used to be like yeah but I was chose you know like right (laughs) my parents picked me yeah that's right like I'm special come on um but yeah it was just great childhood I was um, not allowed to play at the front though because they were the type of people that um, would stalk us and mum and nan and dad were always worried about my safety. Um, they turned up at one of my primary schools and they did catering there and, you know, um, they would send me flowers and gifts to the school. Like they were just strange. and you know there was days where we'd go for access visits and I would be begging not to go like I did not want to see them but my mum before she legally adopted me had to comply with that um and they wouldn't turn up so like I'd have all of this anxiety over nothing essentially that's exactly right so um you know Docs didn't like them. They, you know, pushed for the adoption. And by the time I was nine, I was legally a Jones. I was adopted. And um, we had like a little party. And it was, I still remember the day. Um, and my brother was born then. Um, so I have a brother, Harry, who's like 24. Um, and he's having his own baby now. So that's exciting. But you know, my brothers have never treated me any different. Like I I have two brothers. I have Harrison and 
um, Ben and Ben's 22, Harry's 24. Um, so they're a lot younger than me. But I also grew up with my cousin, Madison, who's 25. Um, she lives around the corner from me. Like, we had a great relationship. I taught her how to crawl when she was a baby. Um, she's never treated me any different. But when I started to go, I was about 12 years old. Um, mm -hmm started to go off the rails a little bit, you know, pushing boundaries. Um, my mental health started to play up a bit. I... Uh, you kind of became aware of everything that had happened to you. Yes. And I really believe that it um, played a massive role in what was to come um, because the thoughts of like, you know, oh, why wasn't I loved enough? Or, you know, I had this idolised um, opinion of my natural father and, um, you know, like maybe he did love me but he just didn't have the chance to, you know, know right. things like that. And um, then my mum started taking me to, like, psychologists and psychiatrists and they had said that I had borderline personality traits um they couldn't diagnose it because I was so young but that was the way that it it looked and you know what you were trending towards yes and I am telling you 110 percent I was like the typical borderline personality like you could just be like yelp 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 textbook like, example yes that's that's exactly right so um what would you I, say just real quick before we move on, what would you say to to a especially a young girl who finds herself in a similar situation where she's just now starting to really become aware of herself as a person and becomes aware of all this all these issues and and baggage that she now has to carry? Like, what would you say uh, to like say to yourself and back knowing now what you know now? What Don't would you say to on. yourself? Don't, Don't take it on. on. You know, you are strong, you are loved, you are worthy. Like, the stuff that happened beforehand, that is not because of you. You know, that everyone has their own, um, you know, free will. And, yes, all of this stuff has happened to you. But not but because of you. That's exactly right. And you don't have to take it on. Like, just, you know talk to someone like don't just fly off the handles like I did like you know communicate communication is key um and I think you know with being girls we have our hormones as well and at 12 13 they really are flying off um but I just feel like girls that are adopted or you know find out that step parent isn't their real parent or whatever the situation you are loved like you have a family where like they chose you or they chose to be your parent like it isn't this oh poor me like I thought it was now looking back I'm like I was blessed man like I was so so blessed and you need to look at the positives and not the negatives 
Do you feel like if you had focused on the positive things more, if you had taken that time to appreciate what you have, that you could have avoided a lot of the mistakes, everything? Yes, everything. Like, everything. My whole life probably would have ended up differently. Um, Because when it all started, you know, I started running away from home and um, I was attacked by three three guys um and you know like I was still innocent if you know what I mean and um I come out of that um different yeah it um it shattered me obviously what they did to me and um the humiliation and like I couldn't talk about it with my my mum straight away and things like that because I was so ashamed and I um I felt like I put myself in that situation. Like if I had been at home, you know, it wouldn't have happened. And like the girl I was with actually set it up. Like it was just like, I don't know, she she had been assaulted herself and her, her stepdad like ended up holding a gun. Um to their head and then he ended up shooting himself so like she came from a really bad home like where I kept running away to and um you know she did what she did and like it caused um my assault um but I don't hold her accountable like I forgive you know she had her own trauma right um but that set the course for everything that happened, you know, ricocheted. I, I can understand that. And it really, it really sucks because if you look at it, and this is speaking mainly from personal experience, I, I don't claim to have any expertise on anything. But <laughs> but um, if you look at it, in my experience, most people who, who do the worst things, most people who are just, tr- you see them as bad people, but but they're they're usually people who had the same things done to them. Yeah, that's you exactly know. right. That's exactly thieves right. probably had something stolen from them. Uh, assaulters usually got assaulted. Uh, yeah. Bullies usually are being bullied by somebody else. Like yeah. it's weird, but people really are just mirrors. Like usually, you yeah. can tell what's happened to somebody by what they're doing. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And. That's why, you know, like, I don't hold any animosity, nothing to this girl. Like, um, you know, she had a, a terrible life and was just hiding it a lot better than, you know, some do. Um, so, you know, after that, I um, slept with this other guy in year, he was in, like, year 12 when I was in year 8, and, um, you know, that started that provocative um like behavior started yeah. to show and a lot of people either go provocative or they go the opposite and they're really prudy you know what I mean and um yeah I, I, I do know what you mean yeah so like I took that provocative way and it was like sex meant nothing to me nothing like there was no emotion there I was literally a shell um I did it 
out of necessity a lot of times. It was never a thing of enjoyment. And looking back on that and being able to uh, make sense of it now, because back then it was just like, you know, I don't know why I'm doing this. Like I'm putting myself in, you know, these risky situations and I'm acting out. And now looking back and it was like, well, because of the way you lost it, as, as if it's going to have any meaning until you find sort of the right person and you've dealt with it all. Like that was the biggest thing. So I was, um, I went and lived with natural mum who, who was pregnant, you know, at the time with my my sister and um, I gave her help. Like I moved in there with the thought of, you know, resentment and um, I'm just living here because I've threatened it to my adoptive parents and they've gone, okay, well, off you go sort of thing, like, you know, um, get a taste of this. And I remember when they dropped me off and they drove away, I was devastated. Like I was crying. I never thought I was actually going to go through with it. Um, right. And that's one of their biggest um, regrets in a way is actually, you know, making me go through with it. Um, but, yeah, I I didn't like my natural mum. It was just like I'm here and, um, you know, let's just sort of coexist. Like I'm going to push your boundaries. I'm like you're just trying to love me and I'm just like. Well, that's the stage allowed. every kid goes through and, and- – like literally every kid there's not an exception every kid especially uh, i want to like from what i've heard and this is uh ages like 12 to 16 or where it's going to be the worst yeah yeah it's so true i've got a 14 (laughs) but like she just coughed it hey like you know she hadn't seen me in years Mm -hmm. so going from like naught to she's got me at, at my worst sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like I feel sorry for her now looking back on it. Like I was smoking pot. I was running away. Like I was working at McDonald's and like stealing money because I had to pay her board. She was trying to teach me like that responsibility. Oh, um, isn't that but, ironic? Yeah. And I was, like, stealing this money so I could supply my my pot habit, you know, and, um, like, yeah, just not going to school and the teachers telling me, like, you're so smart, like, just put the effort in and being like, no, nah, I don't I don't need this and um, getting into a lot of physical fights. Like, I, I was a goer. Like, it was you know, mm-hmm. this this girl and she thought she was like this real tough thing and she used to like fight all of the like I guess weaker sort of people and it was like no I'm not gonna let this happen. Like I always supported the underdog and um I remember my natural mum running down the street heavily pregnant because one of my friends went and got her and she's like oh Picada. like you know she just 
Give me all one, two. Yeah, like, and I sort of let her in after that. Like, um, you know, I, I gave this girl what for, and sadly she she passed away a couple of years later. Um, you know, she was... Remind me not to fight you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My husband laughs. He's like, you can't do anything. Like, he, he looks at me now because he never knew me in it all. Right. Um, like you're just this like happy soft sort of person and it's like yeah now like because I've dealt with my crap you know what I mean like right. I, I don't have built up resentment I don't have anger anymore I don't have all of that like I'm just content and happy now so um you know then she had my sister and I fell in love like I didn't want to go home because I wanted to sort of be there to help with her because natural mum didn't have any family support like around there like her adoptive parents um her adoptive dad and stepmom were supportive but they live so far away so I sort of would go and steal her through my bed and um three years later to the day I gave birth to my first child um mm. and so Jag's 15 um this year and he oh my gosh like I just loved him like you know but I knew that the best thing for him was for my my parents to raise him because I was 17 um you know I tried to do it I did try to do it but I think like a month or two and it just like I didn't have the skills or the maturity to to look after him properly, you know, and I didn't want him to ever go without anything. I wanted him, like, stable. I wanted him loved. I wanted him not just, like, looked after. I wanted him to have a good life. And I felt in my own personal um, situation and where I was at, I couldn't give that to him. So I gave my adoptive parents um, parental rights over him and um, I moved out to a refuge and I sort of went downhill. I, um, I went out to King's Cross, which is like our red-white district sort of thing. Okay. So, you know, not, not the best place. <laughs> Um, yeah, you're saying. Yep. And I went to a strip club and um bought um drugs. So like I bought ecstasy. Do you guys you know what Yeah, that we know what ecstasy is. Yeah. Okay, yep. So I bought ecstasy and I had GHB. Um and you know, I was meant to drink alcohol with that and I didn't know. So like I was so naive. Like really nice. Um, so but I thought I was tough and cool and um bought this stuff and had it all and the first Eki didn't work. So I took another one and I ended up so high and I went to the train station and I was going to find Jag's natural dad to have a go at him at like three o'clock in the morning. And luckily the trains are checked at that time of the morning. 
um, where I guess like homeless people sleeping on them and, you know, yeah. Like that. So a train guard found me ODing on the train floor and my friend sitting there rocking. Um, she was off her head too and obviously couldn't comprehend what was going, going on. on. Right. Yeah. So the train guard, um, you know, called the ambulance and they took me to hospital and Man, I am telling you, I've seen everything that happened to me. Like, I didn't see, you know, no white light. I didn't see um, God or anything like that. But it was like I was looking down on myself. And, like, they brought me back to life. Like, I had died and I had to get brought back. So I wasn't awake for, for the care that they were giving me but I could tell you everything that happened to me and that just sort of blew me away, but scared me at the same time. And I hate to derail your flow here, but it's crazy that you bring that up because uh, I've been watching the show on Hulu. Uh, it's like Penn and Teller, uh, a Penn and Teller show. I won't say the full name because it's got a, a swear word in it. Yep. <laughs> but uh they go around and they explain that certain things just aren't true and they did an episode on near-death experiences and i used to not believe in near-death experiences either but i yeah. knew a kid and i went to the hospital with him one time because he had a heart condition and he had issues with it while we were hanging out one time and i had no other way to go anywhere so i had to go with him yeah. and as the nurse was taking his vitals, his blood pressure and everything, he was talking to me and he was like, yeah, I died once. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, right here in this uh, hospital. And uh, he said, the craziest thing is, is I heard everything that was going on around me while I was dead. I said, oh. no way. And the nurse said he sure did, because I asked him a question after he was gone, before I realized he was gone, turned around, saw that, you know, she and he she said that right after they brought him back, the first thing he did was popped up and answered her question. Oh, my goodness, that's crazy. But, mm -hmm. yeah, like, things happen. Like, I don't know, a lot of people I've I've spoken to, because obviously being in NA, like, you hear a lot of um, these experiences and and they've all said the same thing. Like, there's no, like, you don't, you, you see, like, I remember seeing a picture of my nan in my head and my mum and my brothers and my dad and things like that. But it was like, a reel and then I remember seeing just everything that was happening like the silver like alfoil they were wrapping around me and the the drugs they gave me to bring me back and and then they did the like paddle things and everything like I remember it all and I punched the ambulance driver like from being brought from being brought back and it was just insane and I remember being wheeled down and I was meant to be out of it by this time um, being wheeled down the train station um, platform and when I went to the hospital I was taken out of the ambulance and I seen this girl and she had like one of those poles um, like the IV pole yeah and she was in a gown but she wasn't there like it was really weird like it was like I was just on that sort of plane I guess I don't know like that in and out yeah and, um, and luckily 
you know, they managed to to help me. And um, I woke up to my parents at the end of my bed and I'd never seen my adoptive dad cry so much in his life. And my mum was crying too. And um, I thought they left me at the hospital, but I was meant to stay there like for a couple of days. So I just took off, you know, and it was crazy time in my life and um by the time I was 18 I was sitting in this um dingy you know apartment block in the car park area and watching two people shooting up ice and thought hey that would be a good idea like Hmm. I want to get some of that and um I didn't want to shoot it I was scared of needles and you know my family's like it like cut me sort of thing because I was just so crazy and you know my parents were looking after my son so it was they had to give their full attention to him you know they couldn't sort of be worrying about like they were worrying about me but like they couldn't have me in their life um disrupting the way they were bringing him up and you know, that my brothers are so much younger than me. There was just, you know, when you try to keep yourself safe sort of thing, your family safe. So, um, and I didn't want anything to do with anyone. It was like, you know, I'm running my own course. You're not going to tell me what to do. And, yeah, um, so I always used a way from everyone. And I got them to get me the ice and the ice pipe and, um still remember that first puff and it was just amazing for like five seconds like you know that's one thing I've always heard because meth is a huge problem around here where I, where I live in Alabama in general yep and uh I've always heard that like yeah man it's the best thing you'll ever do in your life for the first yep. five seconds yep and then every time you hit it after that, you're just trying to capture that first five seconds again and yes. again and again. And you never will. You never will. So, you know, it's chasing that dragon, chasing that dragon. And, um, you know, I became very hooked on that very, very quickly. I would say the first time I used, I was addicted. Um, so. Then I met a guy um, not long after, and he was a heroin user um, and an ice user, and his main preference was heroin and benzo. So I don't know if you know, um, no, you would know. Um, they're called Xanax. I think mm-hmm. you guys have a as well. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, yeah. So he would take like, 12 Xanax a day and I'm not even exaggerating like this guy and he would have seizures like if he couldn't get his Xanax like he would have actual seizures so you know it was a love at first sight with him and I um, mm. and I that. like it was you could get me drugs like you know you go out and do your thing because I'm not getting my hands dirty and you know you you bring me back stuff like um yeah so he provided me with 
with my drugs and um, I was his girlfriend and he ended up one day introducing yet again in another dingy car park, um, apartment blocks, um, he offered me heroin and once I smoked that, I thought it was going to be amazing and I just started throwing up like it was horrible until I stopped throwing up and it was like peace. I just felt peaceful and it was the same peace that I felt when I went through my near-death experience, you know. Um, but then... That's interesting. Of, yeah, it was... Because, like, that, like, when I almost died, it, it was just peaceful, you know, when um, it was the same with smoking the heroin. And obviously you build a tolerance very, very quickly. Um, and he said to me, you need to start using an IV, like, yeah, in your vein. And um, like I was petrified of needles, but... When you're addicted to a drug, you know, you're going to lose your morals and you're going to, because to me, a junkie was someone that used um, needles. I now have a very, very different opinion of what a junkie is. Um, Being so naive, um, you know, and new to it all, I honestly thought that only someone that used a needle was a junkie. And that is far from true. Like, you know, you're doing some some pretty shady stuff to get what you want to get and you know using drugs whether you use a needle or you smoke it or whatever like you can right. still be junkie. you gotta have boundaries set or else you won't have any at all that's exactly right and you know i had really good morals um and some of them were starting to go like well, let's address that. There's a big misconception, especially where I'm from, that just because you get addicted to a drug, and I'm guilty of this myself, but in my defense, I always treated people like this at a younger stage in life. Yeah. There's this misconception that if you're addicted to drugs of any kind, even hard drugs, that you are inherently a bad person. No, not at all. Like, I would go to the drug dealer's house. You're going to laugh at this one. And be like, could I please have, you know, <laughs> and I'd get it. And I'd be like, thank you. Have a good day. Who does that? Like, <laughs> I Knocking on the door and saying, yes, sir. And ma'am, that's awesome. Exactly. Yes. I had my, my manners, you know, they never left. Like people used to think I was an undercover cop because I was so polite and just, you know, a bit too normal, I guess, um, for their liking. But, you know, I still, um, I can't, like, people class prostitution as just, you know, getting money for sex. Right. Being in relationships with men um, purely for personal gain, you know, for them feeding my drug habit, it's it's the same same thing, you know. Yeah, you're exchanging your body for a product or, or money. Yes. So, like you know, I lowered myself there, but like I say, I never had a, a great 
you know, first sexual experience. So it meant nothing to me. So that was that was fine. But, you know, like I can't say I, I was a prostitute, but I was because I may not have been working in a parlour or on the street, but I was with these men for personal gain, you know. Right. Um, so he gave me my first um, shot of heroin and he uh, introduced the benzos to it as well and he gave me my first shot of ice. Um, and the day that he gave me, like, so my nan died when I, I was 18, um, so this was at this time. Um, I was four months pregnant with Will, that's um, the one that I got taken and then um, he was getting adopted and he's got some severe um, conditions. So um, I didn't know I was pregnant straight away. So it was too late to do anything about it. I, I'm not pro-abortion. I'm not against abortion. Um, but like when you're an addict, you know, I, I was thinking of the baby, like I can't go through with this pregnancy because I didn't know for the last four months that, I, you know, I was pregnant. And so you, you, yeah. So I looked at abortion, but I, I was too far. Um, so, you know, one night, um, I was sitting in another shed yet again, <laughs> um, and something made me call home. Like I just, I had this thing in my soul and my gut that I had to call home and I hadn't spoken to anyone in months and I rang my natural mum, um, and she told me that my nan was dying and, I was literally mixing up a shot of heroin and um, she said, you need to get to your nan's house, you know, you've got to go. So me and my ex, um, we went there and I did not have that shot of heroin. Um, I went there sober because I would never disrespect my nan or my family like that. Um, and I sat by her bed. And she looked like a little walker and, um, you know, she wasn't coherent and I don't know how to deal with that sort of stuff. So I just make jokes and I was like, oh, you have so soft, man. Like you get a treatment for God, did you? Like, you know, just like she tried to ride a bike when she was nearly 60 while having a dressing gown on and slippers and couldn't ride a bike. Like, mm. She fell over, the bike was on top of her, and we were halfway up the street before we realised what Nan had done. So, you know, like I was bringing all of this stuff up and um, my adoptive mum had an ABO out on me at, at the time and she was hiding in the bedroom and she could hear everything I was saying and she was sobbing and she came out and she hugged me and it breaks my heart that my Nan died with she used to call me her pet um with me being a pregnant heroin ice addict that is you know not how you want someone that you love and admire um to leave this earth on like while you're in that situation sort of thing like 
Right. I can understand that for sure. But that's one of those things that you just have no control over. You don't get to pick when people go. No, that's exactly right. And um, I truly believe um, she helped guide me um, because (laughs) the next day, obviously, I just wanted to be off my head, you know, after um, that all happened and losing, um, you know, like the other piece of my heart. um, I just went on a bit of a bender and Ash, his name was Ash as well, and he um, went out and was shoplifting to, like, get on and get more stuff. And he got caught. And there he went, you know. He's in jail. See you later sort of thing. Um, And I really think if, you know, our loved ones, when they go, if they can have any power over something, then did that. You know, because it was literally like not the she passed at two o'clock in the morning after I left, like she had held on a week to see me. Mm-hmm. Um and the day after that he was gone. See you later. Like I I I feel like the universe works in mysterious ways and he was gone and I went to detox and um I moved away. So that's whenever you managed to quit your habits or, or start recovering? I would say I was clean. I was on methadone, so I wasn't clean there, um, but I wasn't using anything else. So I don't class that. I class that as I was on a management program, you know. Um, there was a, a Band-Aid there. Um, and, you know, I had will um i had him for three days in the hospital um and then he he was taken and i was just absolutely heartbroken um but i was in a new relationship i had met a guy um i'll call him bob um i met him and he took like a real interest in me i was pregnant um he worked in the mines and you know I couldn't afford to get my own house and all of this sort of stuff and yet again entering another relationship for you know the wrong reasons like you know to get that personal gain sort of thing and um we lived together and he he loved me he really really loved me and um I cared for him but, but you didn't love him. No, no. Um, and so he, you know, had taken on me on pregnant and I'd lost Will and, um, yeah, like, so I was very depressed after that. Like, I'd lost my nan, I'd lost Will. Um, I had really good letters from the doctors at the hospital, so, and the paediatrician saying, like, how much I cared for this child, how he wasn't withdrawing you know, like all of this stuff and um, then they took him anyways. But I got him back when he was six months old for a little while and I realised how depressed I was. Like some days it was so hard to physically get out of bed, you know, like having a shower was like, oh, my gosh, like I've got to have it. I've got to get out of bed. I've got to have a shower. Like, you know, the littlest tasks were just so out of reach if 
if you know what I mean. And, no, I definitely do. Yeah, like, and I couldn't care for this little child. Like, I had been granted him back, but I was in no state to to have this child. And I, I didn't have the support either. Like, once they gave him back, it was like, here you go, like, and they walked away. And, you know, I was just, yeah, so... Um, he was given back to the parents that were looking after him mm-hmm. um, because I believed I was not capable nor ready or in a position to be the mother that he needed. Um, like I was just doing everything because that's what you have to do to care for a child. Like it was, I loved him, but I was just so depressed like it was yeah I, I i i'm like thinking about it now and it's all just you know right like i'm there and right it was horrible it was how did you start moving out of that feeling though like when did you start realizing this isn't what i want forever and when did you start quitting so um you know i went on to have another child and that one was with Jim and he he took her at birth. Um, then I just ran a muck for a while, um, and then uh, I haven't seen my my daughter in eleven years. Uh, Sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's like I don't want to be. Uh, I want her to to be old enough to understand. You know what I mean? And I feel like at 12, you know, they're starting that that age where they can go one of two ways. So I don't want to be um, the reason that, you know, she has some trauma. So I'm just staying away till she's old enough to make her own informed decision on whether she wants to meet me or, or not. Um, you know, it is that the most excruciating thing and she looks exactly like me um but he's just he's not even raising her like his parents are but he just yeah won't have a bar of it I don't even have contact number nothing like it's just you know he's stuck me right now but that everything happens in life and you can't control everything um but after her, I, I went a bit wild and then I ended up meeting this other guy and that's when the domestic violence um, started and I was working in real estate. Um, I was working in the car yard then. Like I was trying to hold up this um, perfect life sort of thing and, you know, he, he would assault me and, I would go out and go on a binge weekend and use and, um, yeah, like out of spite, you know. It, it was a very, very toxic relationship and um, it lasted like two years and, yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. When I finally left him, um, I ended up meeting Ash again. And, you know, that spiral of everything happened again and I started using more and, like, um, it just went on 
and then I ended up, he got locked up again and I was like, oh, his best friend, you know, does um, a lot of like stealing and stuff. Like I'm, and he gets big, big money. I, I'm going to hook up with him. And yet again, another relationship, you know. Um, for the wrong reasons. For the wrong reasons. And that was revolved around drugs and that was, um out of necessity and that you know there was domestic violence he broke my ribs and you know like um I tried to push him down a flight of stairs while he was holding a television like just it was disgusting and um I, I stood by him while he went to jail for six months I didn't cheat I didn't do anything um you know and that's huge for me like that like that not me, but like Ashley then, that was huge for her. Um, you know, I'd visit him three times a week, two times a week, money in the account every week. Like I did solid. Um, and then it, when he got out, I had started working my way off the methadone and I wasn't using and stuff. And he was on drug court, so he couldn't use anyways, but he wouldn't get off the methadone. And then I said to him, um, you know, like I'm done. I don't wanna I don't wanna use anymore. Um I I just I wanna live a normal life. And he wasn't on board. So he was very surprised when I broke up with him. Um I said, like, if you're not going to do like things by the book, like I I can't have this relationship anymore. And um I went to my parents, um, my natural mum and stepdad's farm and my stepdad has always been a massive believer in me and has always seen potential in me. Like he has pushed me and pushed me and pushed me to be the best version of myself. Um, he came into my life when I was 18 and, you know, um, he just, yeah, has always had my back sort of thing. And, you know, my, my adopted dad and I had like a, a a relationship that was hot and cold sort of. And like now, like I, I adore both of them, you know, and um, so man, my um, stepdad, he put all this time and effort into me and made me believe I was worthy. And I started to get clean. I was off the methadone. And I was so proud of myself. And then I went back to my stupid flat and I had a feeling and I was staring at the door and I was like, the thought come in to use, you know, like I was three weeks clean. Um, the thought came in my head and I acted on it straight away. You know, like there was no filtering it. It was like, I have to do it. I have to do it or it's going to kill me if I don't do it. Mm. So... I went on a relapse for four weeks and I got like so paranoid. I've never suffered with paranoia in my life. Um, and I was so paranoid. There was all these New Zealanders in my head surrounding my house, um, all my flat. And, you know, they were yelling at me and I rang my natural mum and I was like, don't come to the flat. Like whatever you do, don't come to the flat. <laughs> And she lived an hour and a half away and she got in that car and she drove up there and um, 
my phone was all pulled apart after that phone call and you know I'd spread it all outside the unit and I'm yelling see I don't even have my phone come and talk to me and then mum pulls up and I'm like be careful they're gonna get you they're gonna get you and she's like who like what the hell is going on and um I was like can't you see them like you know oh my god like they've been trying to fight me all day and she's just like pack your bags you're coming back to the farm and I went next door first and got a few benzos uh, without telling them but I knew I was going to need them I had that clarity you know um, mm. um that was that was it I booked into rehab and 21st of March, uh, 21st of May, 2016, I went to rehab and I haven't used since. So now, now that you've been through rehab and you managed to kick your addictions, you, you do have custody of, I believe, two of your children? So I have my 14-year-old in my life. Um, he's like my little buddy. And we have such an incredible relationship. He'll talk to me about anything um and he's still with like he's lived with me and now he doesn't like where we live so my mum lives near the beach like my forever mum so he lives with her and like I only seen him last week um you know we're we're close um and then I have my four-year-old who saved my life and my little two-year-old um Working two-year-old and my newborn daughter Adeline at home. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, it was um, it was insane. Like, and now you want to use this this journey that you've been on, you know? And let's talk for a second. What kind of like mind state did it take for you to to get past? the drug use and the and the trauma you've been through because you seem rather like upbeat and easy going now especially for someone who's been through as much as you have so so what what would you say to someone who feels like they can't ever move past all that because I'm sure at some point you felt that way too I did I did and until you're out of it you like you need to remove yourself from the situation you know, um, I feel like a lot of people don't believe they can do it and they don't even try, you know. And it's okay to try and fail. Like, it's okay to try and fail 40 times as long as you're trying. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I do. You, yeah, like if you don't try, you're going to be stuck in that situation forever so you know I look at it that um I was I was ready I had been through enough trauma and I had always had this little thing in my head that if I got psychosis like drug-induced psychosis that was done for me like I like you know I would never ever use again and I, I didn't like um I feel like you've got to have, you know, how people have safe words with things and stuff. Like that was my rock bottom and you reach your rock bottom and that's when you need to seek out help. Like 
go to rehab, go to, go to an NA meeting. Like if you feel like you're not ready to go to rehab but you want that support, go into an NA meeting and they are your tribe. You'll just be like, oh, my God, they understand me. Like they get the trauma I've been through. Like they have been in that situation or, you know, I'm not the odd one out. Like if I go to, say, Starbucks and I started like, <laughs> Starbucks, um, and I started talking with, you know, a bunch of random people and I'm telling them my story, they're going to think I'm the odd one out. But you walk into an NA meeting and you start sharing your story and there might be people that have done worse than you or there might be people that have not done as bad as you but to them it is you know like you're all equal like it's just it was like I found my family right I can understand that so your advice would be believe in yourself believe that you can do it because you'll never do it if you don't try and then seek out a support group when you need it yes yes and even if you like like I said I don't believe in staying in NA and I'm going to get to like that. You know, I don't believe in staying in NA for life. That is my personal opinion. Um, For some people, you may have to stay in it for the rest of your life. For me, I haven't. I haven't picked up a drug. Um, I've drank four times in, in, you know, over two and a half years and that's not a problem for me. Um, but for some people, they can't do that. And, you know, people just need to know that, like, I know how many meetings you guys have over there. Like, they're everywhere. Right. And that was, like, I've watched the the convention um, in, in America. It was live streamed, so we watched it. And the atmosphere is just amazing. Like, you're going to have lawyers. You're going to have, you know, people that are just getting clean. You're going to have all types of people, but they understand and they build your confidence up and they will give you the right support. And I cannot recommend it enough, you know? Well, that, that I can definitely endorse that. And I believe that everyone should uh, seek out the help that they need. But real yeah. quick, because uh, we're, we're kind of... Yeah. Pushing it here on time. Uh, real quick, did you want to uh, get in any final ideas, any final words before we do a quick shout out for your social media and whatnot, or do you want to just go straight to the shout out? Yeah, like I, if if you're interested in my story, or you know, you want some advice on what to do, or you want to be one of my, you know, free five um, life coaching participants, reach out to me. You know, like. I'm always happy to give some advice. Like, and where can people reach out to you at? So I have a Facebook page, How I Got to Here. I have an Instagram page, How I Got to Here. Um, and my YouTube channel, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on here. I can pull that off real quick. I just had it pulled up a few minutes ago. Um, but, yeah, reach out to me. You know, I'm always happy to listen. Um, I love, like, I put up videos of my story. I put up videos of, you know, different topics. Um, 
I've got a couple more to put up. And, you know, you you just need to do it, man. Like, honestly, this life I have now, I could not have ever imagined how incredible it would be. Like, it is beyond my wildest dreams. I have a happy, you know, marriage. I have a man that I am in love with. I have three beautiful children at home and I have a relationship with my oldest son and I speak to everyone in my family. They trust me again. I am a part of, you know, I'm, I'm about to be an auntie. Um, I have friends that are lawyers and teachers and, you know, my share, my story, me starting to share it, I was worried about the judgment and I have only got positive feedback. Just believe in yourself and you will achieve great things. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time and thank you for talking with me. Uh, thank you. I'm sorry I chatted your ear off. <laughs> no, you're fine. It, it's been great. Uh, this has been really eye-opening for me. I feel like it will be really helpful because I personally know a lot of people that could benefit from hearing a story like yours. So I can only imagine how many people are out there that we don't know about that could use it. Yes. And I would love to be able to share it on my socials as well and, um, you know, whatever I can do to help support your your podcast. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, so once again, you can find her on Facebook at How I Got to Here. And then her YouTube channel is also How I Got to Here. I just looked that up for you. Uh, where she shares details about her life and her story with the with the goal of trying to help other people who are going through similar things to realize that they too can make it through it and make a positive change in their life. But thank you again, Ashley, for being on the show. I hope you had a good time. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Take care. All right. You too. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.